Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Today's show is part personal story and part coaching. Well, they're actually going to be intertwined. Essentially, I'm going to coach you through my personal story, and I'm going to share with you why I believe that you should think slow, move fast, and prioritize your life because that's what I'm doing. I'm thinking slow, moving fast, and I'm prioritizing my life, and that has led me to the fact that tomorrow – Radical Personal Finance Global Headquarters moves. Welcome to the Radical Personal Finance Podcast. My name is Joshua Sheets and I'm your host. Thank you for being here. Hope you enjoy today's show. On Wednesdays, I often do technical content, but no technical content today. Today, I'm just going to tell you what I'm doing and why I think it's a good move. Then you've got to judge it for yourself and figure out if what I'm doing is intelligent. And then consider what you're doing and see if you should implement some of what I am. Definitely a big announcement as I sit here today. I uh, My bookshelves are packed up. I've got boxes on the floor. My desk is piled high with things. And in a few minutes here, I'm going to be unplugging all of my computers and podcasting in gear and, and getting those ready in the boxes. And tomorrow morning, I'm going to go get a U-Haul truck. And we're moving Radical Personal Finance Global Headquarters from the house that uh, we own into a rental apartment. Uh, it's actually a duplex. We'll be renting uh, half of the duplex. And I'll tell you the story behind it. Uh, I'm not going to go into the details of all of the financial details uh, simply because I'm going to wait until the house is actually sold and then we'll do an autopsy of the finances and I'll share with you what you know how my how home ownership adventure uh, has been but just I'll share the big picture today and I'm pretty excited about the move and the major reason I'm excited about it is because it will work out well financially, but more importantly, it will work out well and better from a lifestyle perspective because it will free up a lot of my time, which is time that I can devote to things that are higher priorities for me than owning a fancy house at the moment. And I'm going to use that outline that I created. It just I'm just not an exhaustive outline for a decision-making process. Just Basically, what came to me as I sat down and said, um, what can I share with you today? Of Think slow, move fast, and prioritize your life. And I'm going to walk through those. First, thinking slow. The best decisions in life are generally going to be those that are the most carefully considered. Deliberate, careful, thoughtful analysis is going to lead to a better decision. And if you want to develop a success characteristic, one success characteristic that I'd encourage you to develop is the habit of thinking slowly. If you 
can get through the about 500 pages of it, go and read Daniel Kahneman's book called Thinking Fast and Slow. Uh, he's a Nobel Prize winner in economics, and essentially the book outlines different types of thinking. One system of thinking which is fast and instinctive and emotional, and the other system of thinking which is more it's slow, it's slow thinking, which is more deliberate, more logical, and more careful. And then he walks through the different biases that we have surrounding each type of thinking. But the net – you skip the book and just simply do this. Spend more time thinking carefully about all your decisions and you're going to make better decisions. So anytime you can put off a decision, do it. Anytime you can take more time to think about it, do it. Anytime you can consider a decision more carefully, do it. You're going to make better decisions. Uh, so always try to protect yourself from your from fast thinking because emotional decisions – uh, they have their place, but for the big things in life, they probably aren't a great place to start. Now, for me, though, I see different ways to practice this type of thinking because thinking slowly does not necessarily mean that you can or should move slowly. Sometimes if you take a moment to think about it or take a night to think about it, you miss the deal. Somebody else buys the the, the piece of property that you wanted to buy. Sometimes you need to pull out some money and make it happen. But those types of quick moving, quick acting, fast acting should occur after a thoughtful, deliberate process of thinking, slow thinking. And the way that I like to do that is, number one, carefully considering what the goals are. Number two, constantly outlining and wargaming different scenarios and different options and doing that completely disconnected from reality in the sense of with no commitment to follow through. That's what I do in my journaling. That's what I do in my thinking. You hear me do that for you here on the show. The best example I would illustrate to you is the recent series that I did uh, a couple of months ago on how to prepare to get laid off. I'm concerned that in the next recession, many of you who are listening will be laid off from your jobs. And so what I was doing in that series of three shows, the first show was how to prepare how to prepare so you don't ever get laid off, how to prepare in case you do get laid off, and then, okay, you got laid off, now here's what to do. What I was doing was practicing a process of wargaming with you, trying to expose you to a way of thinking that you possibly weren't thinking about previously and trying to bring scenarios that are not real yet to you so that you'll think through them so that if that real scenario happens, then you know what to do. The best word I know for this is, is the word I used, wargaming. And that's where if you look at how military personnel are trained or emergency response personnel, they're trained constantly again and again and again and again in the practice of if this, then that. Here's an emergency situation. What do you do? Here's the drill. And they drill 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 and they drill. And they drill. My dad would tell me stories. He was a uh, an officer in the Navy on a diesel submarine. And he would tell me stories of his years of service in the Navy where he talked about uh, – he would just talk about the drills that they would go through. And so they would practice, what do you do if a steam pipe burps, bursts? Or what do you do in the case of this? And so you would drill those things over and over and over again so that when all of a sudden you open the hatch and you go in and the room is filled with steam and there's boiling steam pouring out of a pipe and you know that, wait a second, this is a bad thing – then you don't necessarily just jump to adrenaline and make a, a – a, uh, you don't jump to the adrenaline response and just make a snap decision. Rather, what you do is you immediately revert to the trained drill. 
to the to okay step one step two step three step four step five and you automatically revert because you've drilled that again and again and again so whether you practice this in a military situation whether you practice it when you're out shooting you're on the range okay what do i do you know breathe move breathe move look you know constantly practicing how to suppress the those those emotional responses in favor of the careful consideration so if you practice it in that or just when you drive down the street okay if this car in front of me turns over this guy this truck what if this truck comes across the median where would i go where would i move would i go left would i go right what would be the situation practicing that type of thinking over time at least the experience I've had. Number one, you probably get, you probably do it. And number two, when you face a situation, you're not overwhelmed by adrenaline. You know, okay, this is a situation. If my car is upside down, I proved this one time when I flipped a car over. Okay, yes, the adrenaline response can can come, but it needs to be controlled. Is everyone okay? Let's get everyone out. Let's you know, let's just react calmly. Now, I'm I don't believe that it's we can all ever get to a point where we say, yeah, I have no ability to. I'm just a machine and. This is the way it is. No, we're always going to have a natural human response, but we can learn to control and moderate those human responses. But the best way to do it is by thinking carefully and slowly in advance and running those scenarios. So I, that's for me, you hear me do it on the show is constantly run scenarios, run scenarios, run scenarios. And I do the same in my life. Here are my goals. How can I do this? Here are my goals. How can I do this? Uh, what would help me? What's the constraints? What's causing me problems right now? What would be different ways of dealing with these problems? So I've, as I've considered this through in my own life, one of the problems is simply my time. In looking at where my time is going and where my time is committed. My business right now, Radical Personal Finance, the business that you listen to every day, or this is the basis of it, is I'm stuck in that classic uh, adolescent phase. If we were, if we were, uh, if Michael Gerber were giving me uh, advice, he would say, Joshua, you are stuck in the adolescent phase of a business that is being run by an overworked technician, where basically I'm. <laughs> from day to day, utterly, completely, absolutely overwhelmed every single day with radical personal finance. And I dropping balls all over the place and doing just a very few things well. Now, I have my priorities clear, so I'm okay with the things that I'm doing well. And I know that I'm going to continue to drop balls, but it can't continue because if it continues, I'll either revert back as, you know, following the, what Gerber teaches, I'll either revert back to just the small, uh, smaller than it could be, or I have to develop. But what's, when I look and do the analysis of what's keeping me from developing, what's me, keeping me as a businessman from being able to take up, take the next steps and build the business around it, there are two constraints. Number one is time. Number two is money. Now, obviously, that's quite shocking because lacks of time and money are, are – I'm the only one who faces that, right? <laughs> but it's fairly obvious. But then I, you know, I can run different scenarios. How can I overcome these constraints? In my situation, there's been different options. Well, one of the options that I've considered for a very long time is getting rid of my house and moving. And the primary benefit of that would be, number one, freeing up my time from having to maintain the care and maintenance of a large property and simply going to a simpler lifestyle with fewer things to maintain and especially going from an owner perspective to a, a simple tenant perspective where I'm automatically removing some of my uh, some of my responsibilities that can also help possibly with financially but the challenge has been that in my local rental market and based upon when i bought the house and how i bought the house and all of that when looking at the needs of my family 
looking at the fact that I've got two small kids. I've got uh, my wife and I are both at home full time. So we need a little bit more space looking at the constraints of having a couple of dogs and having a couple of kids. That adds a lot of uh, extra energy to the household. So the, the practical imp- impact of those things is I don't – it would not be love from my family for me to move us all into a studio apartment or move us into the back of a van right now. I've considered it. Don't worry. I am radical. <laughs> but that would not be an expression of love toward my family. If we had to do it, you know, we could do it. But uh, right now we don't have to do it. And so there's a, a basic level of, of, of comfort that is nice to maintain if possible for my family. So when I do a survey of the local rental market, rents are high. And they're high especially when compared to uh, the current housing situation that I have and my current costs, which are not extremely high. But there's never been a a good opportunity uh, to present itself. But I've looked and I've thought and I've looked and I've thought and I've thought slowly about it. But at this point, I've actually moved very quickly the instant I found something that could work. And the timeline was uh, a few weeks ago, I was having a Friday afternoon call with a friend of mine, a listener of the show, reached out to me and said, sounds like you need somebody to talk to and offered to do some masterminding, some coaching with me. And so we talk every week and uh, it's really been helpful just to have somebody to talk to. Coaching is so valuable, but it's often hard to find a good coach. And, um, and I just talk with him and I tell him what I'm working on. He tells me what he's working on. And as we were considering it through, I was just talking again about the fact I'd really love to sell my house to free up more time to execute on some of the balls that are being dropped right now with radical personal finance. And in consideration of it, after the call, I was just continuing to think about it. We talked about it, but I just shared it as an aside. And then I decided to make some more phone calls and just check out the market again. And I called my brother who owns a duplex. And I was asking him what he was renting, doing a survey of what his, he, he's renting it out for. And then all of a sudden I realized that his tenant had just moved from the other side of his duplex. So this was uh, Friday at the end of July. End of July. It's actually July 24. Well, he told me that his tenant had just moved out. He told me what the rents were. And I was purely using it as market research. He said, go look at it. The reason I was using it as market research because I'd never been in the unit before uh, because he'd always had it rented and uh, there was no reason for me to go into his side, into the rental side of the unit. Uh, so I'd never been inside. Well, I went to the rental side of the unit. I had been in his, excuse me, I had been in his side of the unit, which was quite small and w- would simply not accommodate my family uh, with our needs. But then I went and walked and he said, go look at it. So the next day, this was July 25, Saturday, I went and just popped in to look at the look at the rental unit, and I instantly knew that it was going to be a good plan and that we should move. And the reason is because when I went through the list of the priorities, the things that I needed, that I, I need in my family, I need enough space uh, for my family to spread out, I need enough bedrooms for the kids. I need uh, you know a washing machine. We do cloth diapers, so that requires you to have a good washing machine and dryer and a cl- nice clothesline to hang hang the diapers on. Uh, things like that. Uh, need a little bit of yard for the dogs so my wife can just throw them out of the house when they're boisterous instead of having to figure out how to take the whole family out with a stroller and, and, and go for, and walk them. Uh, just looking at that, I instantly knew it would work. Uh, I instantly knew it was a good plan. Took a night, thought about it. Uh, next day, talked to my wife about it. And then I left town for podcast movement. And I said, uh, think about it. We talked about it for quite a while. We talked through some different scenarios. And I said, let's just leave it alone until I get back from the podcast movement conference. Well, Life has been tough last <laughs> last 
life has been tough since my baby girl was born. Um, she's had some kind of issues with her stomach and uh, nothing medically serious, uh, just simply normal new baby problems. But it's been a real challenge working with her until we get past this, hopefully about six-week phase when, when she's able to settle down a little bit more. But the reason for my mentioning was that while I was gone, it was just tough tough on my wife uh, as far as working with uh, uh, energetic two-year-old, almost two-year-old, and uh, a very needy little baby. So she had some time to think about it. Didn't make a final decision until I got back in town. I got back in town last week, last Tuesday, and we decided, yes, we'll go ahead and move. And one of the con- contingents of moving was I, was go- I agreed to do some of the work for my brother, uh, who is the landlord. I agreed to go ahead and do some of the work for him on the unit. Fast forward, that was last Tuesday, and tomorrow, Thursday, we move. And so it's a very quick decision. But it's a very quick decision because I believe that one of the most important things to do is when you know what you want to do and you've thought through carefully all the different options, when you see what you should do, move, act. If you're confident and you've considered it, once you've considered the decision fully, don't waffle about it. Act. Act decisively. Act quickly. But act. I've seen this happen with clients that I've worked with who faced financial distress. They faced that job loss. And instead of looking, you know, take a week, fine. Consider things through. But take a look at the budget and figure out how much money do I have and how long is it going to last. And if I do these certain things, how much money do I have? Go out and test the job market. But if you can't, uh, if you can't, a simple thing like, let's talk about house. If you can't get a job in a week and you've got two months of runway, don't wait to list the house until you're behind. List the house now Knowing you can always cancel the sale. You can always reject a contract. Put a high price on it. But get an idea of what things, where things are. Now, listing the house may not be the best decision. Maybe, it's, maybe you can't find a better living situation. But the point is act quickly. But you can only act quickly if you've thought slowly, if you've wargamed the scenarios, if you've considered what your needs are, if you've been clear of what your minimum acceptable standards are. For me, I wouldn't act quickly uh, and move us into a one-bedroom studio apartment without a, without a washing machine and without a yard. Those are below my minimum standards at the moment. But if you know what they are and if you can think about why you're doing what you're doing, then when you see the opportunity, you can move quickly. So that's what I'm doing, moving quickly. The final phase, though, is you've got to have priorities. You've got to prioritize your life. You simply can't have everything. All at the same time, right now, if you haven't put in the time and the work to build the foundation. I think that kind of pie-in-the-sky thinking of, I'm just going to have it all right now without putting in any work is a bunch of baloney. It's nonsense. Now, I think you can have everything or most things over time, but you've got to put in the work to build the foundation to where you can accomplish your goals. But you can't have it all at the same time right now, everything that you want. Everything perfect and ideal today, unless you've already today is, again, after putting in the time and the work. But I think you can have what's most important to you if you know what's most important to you. It's been interesting to watch people's reactions because of the quick, <laughs> because of the quick move. When I say, yeah, I'm selling my house and I'm moving Thursday, 
for many people, came out of nowhere. And it's like, what, what, what's going on? Are you in foreclosure? Are you falling behind on your bills? Like, Joshua, what are you doing? No, it's okay. It's relaxed. But what happens is people immediately are going to filter your actions through their goals. And it's interesting to watch that happen. Because for many people, their most important goals are lifestyle goals. But they define lifestyle differently than the way that I do. So for many people, buying a house is a crowning achievement. It's a demonstration of, of it, number one, it's a goal that they've reached after years of work. It's a demonstration of their self-worth, of their journey that they've been on. And it's a very important process for their family. Uh, so and I don't fault those things. If those are important for you, awesome. But it's not necessarily that for me. I watch people often, and I've worked with people in this, they, they, they buy the dream house, and then they spend all their time, and dad and mom go off to work every day, and they don't see their kids, and they farm out their raising of their kids to uh, someone that they pay and to the state. And they just – and I look at the lifestyle, and I think, that is hell. That is absolute hell. And I think, but you're working to support this half-a-million-dollar house and these $50,000 cars. Now, it's your money, your life, live it how you want. But to me, that's hell. I'd rather live in a little apartment and have a better lifestyle, not have to go off every day to a job I hate. I'd rather do work that's meaningful and important to me. I'd rather be together with my family. There's a reason why I married my wife. There's a reason why I had kids. I want to be with them. I'm not, I don't want to farm out the most important 15,000 hours of their instruction to the state. So that requires me to set priorities. Now, I can't have it all at the same time right now. So I can't live in a million-dollar house right on the water with my 43-foot yellowfin tied up to the dock and my beautiful writing studio and recording studio out back overlooking the water and with a nice $100,000 car parked in the driveway and with tens of thousands of dollars a month of passive income rolling in and a team of people all around the world who runs my business for me and I just simply do the work that I like. I can't have all that right now. I haven't put in the work yet. But I can have some other things that I want and I can prioritize the things that I want. And so for me, my most important goals are lifestyle goals. But I just define lifestyle differently than the way that other people do. Because what I can do is I can live in a rented apartment and drive a cheap car and load up my family on a random Friday morning and drive down to the beach and eat breakfast or take our breakfast with us or eat breakfast at a little cafe. And that costs me 30 bucks, not $3,000 a month. I can have that lifestyle goal. But I can't have it all right now. I just have to choose. And so for me, my most important goals are those lifestyle goals. And because I know those are my most important goals, I have to continue to build the financial foundation under my life to allow me in the fullness of time, if I ever care to, to have the house on the water with the 43-foot yellowfin tied up. I don't think yellowfin makes a 30, 43 foot. It's probably a 37. 
let's make it a 37 foot Bahama instead. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Point is, I got to build that financial independence. So that means at this point in time, every dollar I put into consumption is a dollar I can't put into investment. Now, there's a point of consumption at which I need to do. Uh, that there's a minimum level of consumption. Again, back to my studio apartment. I'm not willing to move into a studio apartment because it's $400 a month just so that I can have extra money to invest. That's below the minimum level of consumption for me. But I don't need to buy all the consumption that I could theoretically afford right now and then not have any money to invest. So... When I combine those lifestyle goals and my financial goals, which lead to lifestyle goals, they require massive investment. And so in this move, I'll be freeing up uh, – I'll go over numbers at a future date, uh, sure, but I'll be freeing up a good bit of money in cash flow. That's money that I need right now to hire help for my business. And 500 bucks a month hires a full-time virtual assistant overseas. And again, given the constraints that I'm at in my business with what I described earlier, I need help. Well, I'm not I'm, I, I'm not the Federal Reserve. I can't print money. <laughs> so I can free it up from consumption so that I can move it into investment. Why do I go into so many details on these uh, on this for you? Well, I'm doing it for a reason. If I were a positioning consultant and I were consulting with me, I would probably tell myself that what I'm doing is a mistake. And the reason is because if you look at money, if you look at the way that people sell financial advice, the way that people sell financial advice is always from a place of having arrived. People look back and they say, well, look, I've done this and I've gotten rich and here's my book. Well, I haven't arrived. So I could put up the facade and this is what a lot of people do is why <laughs> I don't know the numbers. I couldn't guess, but there are a bunch of financial advisors mainstream financial advisors who are very rich and drive a Mercedes because it's a great car and they love to drive it. And there are a bunch of financial advisors who are very broke and drive a Mercedes because they want you to know that they know what they're talking about and they're very broke. You can't know. You have no way to know. So uh, the point is that People, a positioning consultant would say, position yourself, set up your image, set things up. Well, whatever. Uh, I guess I'm too much of a nonconformist to take all the advice that everyone gives. But I say that I wish someone had just shared some ideas with me and then modeled those ideas. I will always have the problem for those who want to result to uh, any kind of for those who want to result to an ad hominem attack against any argument that I present on radical personal finance or any position that I express, I will always have the problem of my own experience and my own starting point. I'm an expert on the technical side of financial planning. And so I can present credentials and proof, certi certification of how much of an expert, expert I am there. And if I restricted my content on this show to that, I would never have the problem of being open to an ad hominem attack against what well, Joshua, you just don't know what you're talking about. But because I don't restrict the content of the show there, because I talk about wealth building and lifestyle design and because I talk about goal setting and success, I do have that problem because I'm not a millionaire yet. The fallacy is if people say, well, Joshua, you're not a millionaire yet, so therefore you have nothing to teach. Well, that's not necessarily true. 
Now, if I'm not a millionaire in 30 years or 20 years, then maybe that would be a better, uh, that would be a, a, a rational criticism. But I do see some things clearly. And my desire is to simply give you what I always wish existed. I'm going to share with you some important and valuable ideas. And then I'm going to show you what I'm doing with those ideas myself. And I'm not going to ask you to just take my word for it because I'm rich. Take my word for it because I'm successful and just do it this way. I'm going to try to persuade you of the rationale behind my approach. And you can choose what you want to do with it in your own life. But I'll demonstrate that I put my money where my mouth is and I practice what I preach. That's what I wish existed. And my hope is together we'll be looking back in 20, 30, 40 years. And this show will be sitting here as an encouragement to somebody who says, I wonder where Joshua Sheet started from. Wouldn't it be cool if you could go back and hear the thinking of, I don't know, who's the most beloved Richard Branson or Bill Gates, you know, or some of these. Wouldn't it be cool if you could go back and hear what Richard Branson was doing when he was 30 and actually hear it in his own words? You can piece a little together in some articles, but wouldn't that be cool? Because, see, today everyone always talks about Richard Branson through the context of Necker Island. Oh, he's got Necker Island. He's got a private island. He's got Necker Island. He's got a private island. Well, wait a second. Where were all the fans, the adoring fans? When he was sleeping on a couch in his living room, in a living room of a studio apartment somewhere, pouring everything into Virgin Records. So that's the stage I'm at with radical personal finance. I just simply am trying to share uh, my own journey and share some of the ideas and concepts that uh, th- that I'm learning along the way, and I hope it's encouraging to you. I always find it encouraging when people don't speak down to me but rather they, that I'm able to relate with the phase that they're in. I'll tell you frankly, life has been tough the last few weeks, incredibly tough. I've never been more stretched than I have been the last few weeks. I've never felt more incompetent at some things than I have the last few weeks. Many of you, some of you know. <laughs> Again, small kids, unhappy baby that basically needs to be held all the time to be happy it's it's tough it's challenging so if you're in a tough space with your progress if you're in that stage of uh, you know you're the the immigrant who's sleeping over their donut shop every single day to save money while they're building it recognize that i'm there with you it's tough but here would be my encouragement to you, and I encourage myself in it and I see this very clearly i don't it's not a made up thing i'm not I don't need to psych myself up. It's in adversity that we grow. We have this very strange and frankly flat out wrong concept in modern U.S. American culture that we should be searching for the easy. I'm sick and tired of the easy, the overnight success. I'm sick and tired of the stories about how this person went from zero to a million in no time flat. Because what happens is when you, when you have that as the, the perspective, you have that as the goal – then you look at you and then you don't hit it because the vast majority of people are never going to hit that overnight success. When you have that as the goal and have that as the perspective, then you look at your circumstances and you look at the reality and you think, oh, I'm doing something wrong. There must be something wrong with me. There's not. The things that are worth doing are not easy. 
And behind every overnight success story is a very long road that nobody knows about. I've even had to control this recently because people talked about uh, radical personal finance. Next month, I'm giving a talk to a local podcasting group. And as part of that, to establish my credentials, I'll talk about the fact that I had a million downloads in the first year thanks to you, the listening audience. A million downloads in the first year is a, an extremely unusual event in a podcast's history. Radical Personal Finance is at this point uh, with our current listenership in the top 10% of all podcasts. And we're heading as fast as we can to the top 5%. But there's a long history that people don't know. And so what happens is someone meets you at a conference and they say, wow, you had all this downloads. You had all this listenership. How'd you do it? Well, they don't know about the years and years and years and years of reading, 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 studying. They don't know about all of the week after week after week of Toastmasters meeting and creating speeches and sitting down and thinking about how to express ideas. They don't know about the hundreds and thousands of, of appointments with individual clients and talking about finance and understanding. They don't know about the thousand people that I've talked to that have listened to their situations and I understand. So when I come and talk about personal finance, it's not like it's not like I'm 21 years old and it's all a bunch of theory that I read in 300 finance books. It's actually having watched people. It's actually having listened to people. When I sit down to write a show most days, it's not from a very first place of never having written an outline of what I'm going to talk about. If if you think at all that my pacing or tone of voice is at all engaging, it's not an accident. It's practice. If I can sit down and easily answer uh, a financial planning question, if I can easily answer the technical or see the things put together, it's because I've spent a whole lot of mornings pumping myself full of coffee at four in the morning trying to get through horrifyingly boring personal fi- uh, financial planning books. But somehow radical personal finance is overnight success. Well, no, it's not. People don't see the 50, 60, 70 hours uh, a week of putting together the shows. I get comments. <laughs> it's funny. Funniest comment. I don't remember the name, but somebody commented on my, uh, <laughs> on my site. Uh, if, if you look at radical – we've got the new website up for in several months now. And one of the things on the new website is uh, – what they call in the online business, we call a lead magnet. That's a little thing that I give away to you to get you to sign up and put your email address in there. And so it's supposed to be 10 top tips for your finances or Joshua's, uh, Joshua's you know, top 10 recommended personal finance books. I've got to write the thing. The problem is I can't figure out what to write and I haven't made the time to get it done. I'm not excusing myself for, get, for not getting it done. Well, what's funny is that somebody commented on the show, on the show page, and they said, boo for the spam. <laughs> and, and meaning that the idea is somehow that uh, I can't remember the full comment, but it was it was it, it made me laugh because the uh, the the idea was that I'm I'm spamming somebody uh, in exchange for their email address, and I'm saying here's a book that's not even written. The books that it, like if 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 the person who was commenting actually knew the real story. 
the real story that for the last two and a half months, I've been needing to write the thing. But every single time I sit down and say, okay, I need to make it happen, then my baby starts crying, or it's time to ship another show, or it's time to prepare for something else that's more important, or it's time to figure out how to do a mastermind call for the patrons who actually pay me money, or it's time to go and encourage my wife who's utterly exhausted, or it's time you get the point. So I'm not excusing it, it, it's, it kind of demonstrates my incompetence with getting it done. But at the end of the day, you got to prioritize. And so why did I go off on that? My point in, in here I am talking about uh, experience and here I am rambling. I'll wrap up with just this. My point in sharing these ideas is that I'm sharing them with you for a reason. Number one, it's cathartic for me. Any podcaster knows it's cathartic to be able to speak into a microphone and share some things with your friends, which is how I view you, my listening audience. Number two, I want to encourage you because I'm sick and tired of the mass popular culture around that's obsessed with overnight results, overnight riches. Nobody got rich overnight. Nobody gets rich quick and stays rich. It does not happen. And the cool thing about that is it's incredibly freeing because once you just simply toss that out as an idea and a mindset, then you can appreciate the journey. And you can recognize and embrace the adversity and recognize the fact that you're going to tell stories about this someday. And you're going to recognize the fact that success is the progressive realization of a worthy ideal. That the adversity is useful. It's shaping your character. It's molding you. It's transforming you. It's doing something in you. And yes, we do need a period of rest. But rest is not the goal. Leisure is not the goal. I'll let you figure out what the goal is. My goals for me would come from worldview. I won't go into that today, but I will just simply say leisure and rest are not the goal. Only in a few aspects of worldview are they. So I just want to encourage you, if you feel like you're in that process, just discard the concept of overnight excess and embrace the struggle, embrace the work. And you'll look back and be thankful for it. And then here's the cool thing. If you are one of those rare people who is an overnight success due to a fortunate change in circumstance, a serendipitous timing of the world and your product or whatever it is that you're doing, you can enjoy that, but you won't be destroyed by that because many people have been destroyed by that. When serendipity strikes and you're able to enjoy massive success, when that's placed onto a foundation and a structure and a framework of character, it won't destroy you. But if that was the goal and you don't reach it, it'll destroy you. And if that's the goal and you do reach it, you don't have the character, it'll destroy you as well. So, uh, so I guess this is Motivational Hour with Joshua. <laughs> Just a little bit of my story. Thank you all so much for listening. I was excited to announce to you that uh, about the move. Uh, and so I uh, just wanted to share that with my friends. Looking forward to that. It gives us a good opportunity to simplify. It's always fun to get rid of stuff and simplify. The challenge we face in the United States of America is how to not accumulate stuff. So much more challenging than accumulating stuff in our in our world. I always feel so bad with some of the places that I've been. And I always wonder who's listening if, you know, to kind of understand that. But it's so tough to not accumulate stuff. Uh, so moving is a good opportunity to simplify as my friend John McBride says, live the low-drag lifestyle. <laughs> Thanks for introducing me to that phrase, John, low-drag lifestyle. Uh, tomorrow, I will be releasing an interview with Cliff, Cliff Ravenscraft. Uh, this is another interview that I did 
while I was at a podcast movement uh, last week. It's an excellent interview. It's very long, but it is excellent. And it's a really, really cool story of his own personal journey. Cliff is a, a podcaster. He hosts a show called The Podcast Answer Man, among other shows as well. But he's just got a great show, and he uh, has incredible candor about the process. And I love highlighting his story because it's not an overnight success story, but it is a success story. And you'll hear that in the show. And he's been a big, as you'll hear in tomorrow's interview also, he's been a big encouragement to me at some key points throughout my own personal journey. Uh, so check for that tomorrow. If I can get my gear set up in the new place by Friday, I will do my best to get a Friday Q&A show shipped. But don't be surprised if it doesn't show up. And if I get the office set up, we'll be trying to be back at things uh, again Friday if possible, if not next week. Thank you all so much for listening. Have a beautiful day. Oh, I was supposed to say uh, radicalpersonalfinance.com slash patron. <laughs> what are the skills I got to develop? I'm the worst at reading my own ads. Uh, if the show is helpful, go to radicalpersonalfinance.com slash patron and tell me so. That's it. Cheers. <laughs> credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.